to quote CNN, if a scary, creepy, don't turn off the lights, thriller is on your summer reading agenda, who better to turn to than Sager? Hello and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Summer to discuss one of my favorite authors and their work. We're going to be chatting about Riley Sager. Hi, I'm Summer, aka Seasons Readings. My favorite genres are sci-fi, fantasy, horror, thriller, romance, pretty much just a little bit of everything. Um, When I'm not reading, I love to go thrifting, I love to draw, and I love spending time with my husband and our two cats. I'm really excited about today's episode because number one, Summer is one of my all-time besties. Um, I love her so much. We have completely different Mm -hmm. reading tastes, but that's beside the point. (laughs) And I love so many of Riley Sager's books, and I'm always curious what other readers think about his work, which ones they like, dislike, and so on. I have found that readers are very passionate about their opinions too, which can spark some fun debates. But before we jump into the discussion, let's pause for a moment so you can tell me what you're currently reading and what your last five-star read was. So I'm currently reading Ascension by Nicholas Binge. It's a sci-fi thriller about a huge mountain that just shows up one day in the middle of the ocean and about the scientists that go out there to explore it. Um, It's pretty creepy and has a book within a book, which I always really like. It's kind of like epistolary form. Um, it's turning out to be a little bit more like existential thriller creepiness, and I don't know if I like that as much, and it's also uh, a lot more literary mm. than I was expecting, and I don't know if I'm liking that. It feels like there's just too much going on. Okay, what about your last five-star read? So this one was technically a four and a half for me, but I'm just bumping it up because I loved it. So um, my last five-star read, technically, um, was Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail by Ashley Herring Blake. Um, the dedication alone made me already love it. The dedication was for everyone who figured it out a little later in life. For me, I it really like meant a lot to me because like as someone who like kind of came into their queerness a little bit later in life and like into adulthood, um, it just meant a lot to me that it, it like it felt very validating. It's about Astrid, who is an interior designer working on a home renovation that's being filmed for like an HGTV type of show. She has a rocky start with one of the women that she's working with on the show, and they have a kind of enemies to lovers romance. It was cute and also very steamy, and I loved the bi representation. So I also wanted to remind everyone about Patreon. If you click the link in the show notes, you'll see a list of perks I offer, but I'm always doing extra fun things like virtual paint nights, reading challenges, social media challenges. It's an easy way for you to show your support for the podcast and get to know other listeners and readers who, like you, are seeking a community. So let's go ahead and jump into the discussion. We're going to talk about the author. We're going to talk about all of his books. And then we're going to, I think we've both read all of his books, right? Okay, so we have read all of his books. Both of us have. We're going to talk about what we thought about him, which ones you should read, which ones were our favorite, all of the things. Riley Sager is a New York Times bestselling author of seven novels, most recently The Only One Left, which was released on June 20th. His first novel, Final Girls, has been published in more than 30 countries and won the ITW Thriller Award for Best Hardcover Novel. A native of Pennsylvania, he now lives in Princeton, New Jersey. Riley Sager is actually a pseudonym, which some people do not know, um, of Todd Ritter. He has also used the name 
Alan Finn. Todd Ritter has written several novels, but only seven of them under the name Riley Sager. So those are the ones that we're going to be focusing on today. Um, just in case you're curious, under Todd Ritter, he has the Cat Campbell series, which includes Death Notice, Bad Moon, and Devil's Night. And under the name Alan Finn, just one novel, Things Half in Shadow, and like Summer mentioned, um, Riley Sager, Final Girls, The Last Time I Lied, Rock, Lock Every Door, Home Before Dark, Survive the Night, The House Across the Lake, and his newest, The Only One Left. It's kind of cool because I didn't actually even know that Riley Sager was a pseudonym until we were talking about it and stuff. So at my in-person book club, there are people in my in-person book club that have not read one Riley Sager. And I'm like, there's actually people out in the world that have not read. <laughs> Read a Riley Sager? I had no idea. So that's why I'm so happy that we're doing this episode today. Yeah. Quick little break to tell you about Aardvark Book Club. In case you've been in the dark, let me enlighten you. Aardvark Book Club is a book box subscription, much like your other favorite book box subscriptions, except they offer free shipping to the U.S. and Canada. It's $17.99 a month in the U.S., allowing you to choose one book from their curated selection of four to five books each month. They offer a wide range of genres, and each month I am so excited to see what their selections are going to be. Let's go ahead and quickly go over the books that they offered in July, and then you can visit their website or their app tomorrow and see what their books are for August. Okay, in July, they had five books to choose from. The first, The Drowning Kind by Robin Harding, one of my most anticipated books of the year. It's a twisted story of friendship, retribution, betrayal about a homeless woman fleeing a dangerous past and the wealthy society wife she saves from drowning who pulls her into a dark web of secrets and lies. Next up, The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue, which is a funny novel about friends, lovers, Ireland and chaos, and a young woman desperately trying to manage all three. Next up, one of my favorite reads of the summer. I've already read it. It's Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monaghan. And this is super nostalgic. It's about an engaged woman who comes face to face with her first love who she hasn't seen in 14 years uh, but she used to spend every summer with him from age 5 to 17 but then he broke her heart but this calls into question everything she thought she knew about their love story and herself and they also have a historical fiction pick The Paris Daughter by Kristen Hamill which explores the depths of a mother's love and the impossible choices that must be made during times of war it's part mystery part family saga part homage to the artist's soul it focuses on two mothers who must make unthinkable choices in the face of nazi occupation and then finally they offered the memory of animals by claire fuller and this one is a work of survival and suspense grief and hope consequences and connectedness that asks what truly defines us and to what lengths we will go to rescue ourselves and those we love so those were their picks for july the great news is that you can check out their new selections tomorrow by visiting their app or their website to see the new lineup if you use my code talkbookish that's t a l k b o o k i s h you can get your first book for just $4 with free shipping. So make sure you check them out at aardvarkbookclub.com. That's 
A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K-B-O-O-K-C-L-U-B.com or download the app. All right, so in publication order, first up we have Final Girls. Ten years ago, college student Quincy Carpenter went on vacation with five friends and came back alone, the only survivor of a horror movie scale massacre. In an instant, she became a member of a club no one wants to belong to, a group of similar survivors known in the press as the Final Girls. Lisa, who lost nine sorority sisters to a college dropout's knife, Sam, who went up against the sack man during her shift at the Nightlight Inn, and now Quincy, who ran bleeding through the woods to escape, Pine Cottage, and the man she only refers to as him. The three girls are all attempting to put their nightmares behind them, and with that, each other. Despite the media's attempts, they never meet. Now Quincy is doing well, maybe even great, thanks to her Xanax prescription. She has a caring, almost fiancé, Jeff, a popular baking blog, a beautiful apartment, and a therapeutic presence in Coop, the police officer who saved her life all those years ago. Her memory won't even allow her to recall the events of that night. The past is in the past. That is, until Lisa, the first final girl, is found dead in her bathtub, wrist slit, and Sam, the second, appears on Quincy's doorstep. Blowing through Quincy's life like a whirlwind, Sam seems intent on making her relive the past, with increasingly dire consequences, all of which make Quincy question why Sam is really seeking her out. And when new details about Lisa's death come to light, Quincy's life becomes a race against time as she tries to unravel Sam's truths from her lies, evade the police and hungry reporters, and most crucially, remember what really happened at Pine Cottage before what was started 10 years ago is finished. This was the second book that I read by the author. Um, even though it is sort of his debut, at least under the pseudonym, um, it takes me a bit to warm up to a new author that I've never read from before. So if there's a debut, chances are I'm not going to really think about that author unless my friends are raving about it. Or if the second book has come out and I'm like, who is this author? <laughs> um, so that was the case with this one. I just passed over it. Um, it wasn't until I fell in love with The Last Time I Lied that I circled back to this one. But overall, I just thought it was okay. Um, it's been many years since I've read it. So um, it was a pretty good read and the ending was really good. Um, Sager has a way of making you think you have it all figured out. And then he pulls a 180, which is something I love in thrillers. Um, I have forgotten a lot of the details, like I said, um, but I always say I'm going to reread it, but that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> So what did you think about Final Girls? Yeah, so I have similar feelings to you. Um, it was just okay. It was really forgettable for me. And I only read this one a couple of months ago, and I'm already having a hard time, like, recalling wow. anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I already just have the worst memory anyway. But yeah, it was just a forgettable book for me. I feel like I just had, like, a problem with the pacing. It just felt really slow. Um, I also remember thinking that the park scenes between Quincy and Sam were kind of weird and out of place. Like, some of the, the things that Sam was trying to, like, make Quincy do and stuff, like, it just felt weird to me. Um, I do agree that the twist at the end was really good, though. I almost wish the incidents that happened before they were final girls was in the book. Yes, I totally agree. That sounded, like, super interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just, like, the slasher lover in me. Um, but, yeah, I thought those sounded like interesting books. Like, if he ever wants to go back and write those. Oh, 100%. I'm down. Those were the parts of the I'm book down. that I liked. Yeah, like, hearing about yeah. the camp and stuff. Like, those vibes, loved. And also hearing about, like, the sorority house stuff. I'm like, if that would have yes. been more of the book, I would have loved it. 
but yeah, yeah the aftermath yeah. was but it kinda... just focused on them after and it's yeah. kind of like eh, you know yeah um okay so next up is the last time i lied two truths and a lie the girls played it all the time in their tiny cabin at camp nightingale vivian natalie allison and first-time camper emma davis the youngest of the group the games ended when emma sleepily watched the others sneak out of the cabin in the dead of night the last she or anyone saw of them was vivian closing the cabin door behind her hushing emma with a finger pressed to her lips now, a rising star in the New York art scene, Emma turns her past into paintings, massive canvases filled with dark leaves and gnarled branches that cover ghostly shapes in white dresses. The paintings catch the attention of Francesca Harris White, the socialite and wealthy owner of Camp Nightingale. When Francesca implores her to return to the newly reopened camp as a painting instructor, Emma sees an opportunity to try to find out what really happened to her friends. Yet, it's immediately clear that all is not right at Camp Nightingale. Already haunted by memories from 15 years ago, Emma discovers a security camera pointed directly at her cabin, mounting mistrust from Francesca and, most disturbing of all, cryptic clues Vivian left behind about the camp's twisted origins. As she digs deeper, Emma finds herself sorting through lies from the past while facing threats from both man and nature in the present. And the closer she gets to the truth about Camp Nightingale, the more she realizes it may come at a deadly price. So this was the last book that I read of his to complete my backlist. Um, and it was fun. I liked it. I gave it like three and a half stars. This was a fun thriller, but it took me about until the halfway point to be super invested. I felt like it was kind of slow paced for most of it. And it felt a little bit anticlimactic. And I wish that the twist had been done a little bit differently. Um, I loved learning about the history of the camp, though, and that the main character was an artist. I really liked that and like how she like went about her paintings, like painting the girls into them. I thought that was so cool. Um, I really just mainly loved the atmosphere of the camp, though. Like that was really fun to read about. As I said, this was the first book that I read by the author and I loved it. Um, I remember when I read it and I do think it heightened the reading experience for me. Um, I also have reread this one and I have confirmed that it's my favorite, although it's been a couple years. So I'm like, do I need to go back and reread it to confirm it's still my favorite? But I think it is. Um, I think it has to do with the reading experience, but also the setting. I love summer camp settings. I also love the thriller trope of twist after twist after twist. And this story had that in spades. I ended up getting my copy from Book of the Month. And then I went and stayed at my parents for a week. They live in Pasadena, Maryland. And their house is this little cabin in the middle of the woods. So it's surrounded like by like thick trees, especially like in the summer when I was reading it. And it it just gets swallowed up by the darkness and you could hear like the frogs and the crickets and the other like natural nighttime ambiance that was like happening in the book as well. So it just really made me feel like I was in the story. Um, and then also my dad is always asking me about the books that I'm reading. So I would give him updates. He's like, oh, what are you reading? You know, and I'd be like, oh, this. And he'd be like, oh, what's happening? You know, so I would tell him. And as the twist started, we were both on like the roller coaster of trying to figure out what would happen because I'd be like, oh, dad, I figured it out. This is what happened. And I'd be like, wait, 
no, that is not what happened. <laughs> like, so I just really remember the experience of reading it. Like I said, I love the ambiance, uh, the, cumber, the summer camp setting and all the twists. So yeah. It holds a special place in my heart. Like the setting of being in a cabin while reading that, I would be freaking myself out. And I also feel like, like when you're describing, I feel like a book doesn't feel real until you kind of like talk to other people about it a little bit. So I feel like talking to someone as you're reading makes it just that much more fun. So I love that you and your dad got to like do that together. All right. So next up we have lock every door, no visitors, no night spent away from the apartment, no disturbing the other residents, all of whom are rich or famous or both. These are the only rules for Jules Larson's new job as an apartment sitter at the Bartholomew, one of Manhattan's most high-profile and mysterious buildings. Recently heartbroken and just plain broke, Jules is taken in by the splendor of her surroundings and accepts the terms ready to leave her past behind. As she gets to know the residents and staff of the Bartholomew, Jules finds herself drawn to fellow apartment sitter Ingrid, who comfortingly reminds her of the sister she lost eight years ago. When Ingrid confides that the Bartholomew is not what it seems, and the dark history hidden beneath its gleaming facade is starting to frighten her, Jules brushes it off as a harmless ghost story until the next day when Ingrid disappears. Searching for the truth about Ingrid's disappearance, Jules digs deeper into the Bartholomew's sordid past and into the secrets kept within its walls. What she discovers pits Jules against the clock as she races to unmask a killer, expose the building's hidden past, and escape the Bartholomew before her temporary status becomes permanent. All right, so I know this is some people's favorite, but I just thought it was okay. Um, I think it was the pacing of this one for me. I don't want to deter people from reading it though, because the atmosphere was creepy. Um, the plot kind of gave off American horror story vibes. Yes. And the ending was super weird and random to me, <laughs> but... Unique and clever too. I'll give it that. So depending on how you feel about the reveal is how I think you'll feel about the book. I just thought the reveal, while it was clever and unique, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> sure, Karen, sure. So then that's why I was kind of like, okay, that's how I feel about the book. So <laughs> what did you think about this one? I think you're right about that. Like if you like the twist, it'll solidify how you feel about the book. Um, I actually liked the twist, but... I agree. It's kind of like almost out of nowhere. There's not really a whole lot that could lead you to it. But that's also kind of the fun thing is like, I don't know. I feel like if I guessed the twist, it ruins the book for me. I never could have guessed that. But um, no, I, I did not guess <laughs> yeah. it either. Um, this was actually my first Riley Saker that I ever read. And I gave it four stars. So I really liked it. Um, I loved the premise and how atmospheric the setting was of the Bartholomew. Um, and like I said, I never saw the twist coming. It was very unique. Um. And also now looking back, it reminds me of Only Murders in the Building, like the TV show. It definitely gives me those yes. vibes. And I also agree with you, um, American Horror Story vibes as well. Next up is Home Before Dark. What was it like living in that house? Maggie Holt is used to such questions. 25 years ago, she and her parents, Ewan and Jess, moved into Bainberry Hall, a rambling Victoria estate in the Vermont woods. They spent three weeks there before fleeing in the dead of night. An ordeal Ewan later recounted in a nonfiction book called House of Horrors. His tale of ghostly happenings and encounters with malevolent spirits became a worldwide phenomenon, reveling the amity horror in popularity and skepticism. Today, Maggie is a restorer of old homes and too young to remember any of the events mentioned in her father's book, but she also doesn't believe a word of it. Ghosts, after all, 
don't exist. When Maggie inherits Bainberry Hall after her father's death, she returns to renovate the place to prepare it for sale, but her homecoming is anything but warm. People from the past, chronicled in House of Horrors, lurk in the shadows, and locals aren't thrilled that their small town has been made infamous thanks to Maggie's father. Even more unnerving is Bainberry Hall itself, a place filled with relics from another era that hint at a history of dark deeds. As Maggie experiences strange occurrences straight out of her father's book, she starts to believe that what he wrote was more fact than fiction. Alternating between Maggie's uneasy homecoming and chapters from her father's book, Home Before Dark is the story of a house with long buried secrets and a woman's quest to uncover them, even if the truth is far more terrifying than any haunting. Hearing that synopsis makes me just want to read it again. I love this book so much. This was my second Riley Sager book that I read and I was completely immersed from the first page, the first chapter. It gives major Haunting of Hill House vibes, which I'm obsessed with. I think actually I watched the entire TV show before, like just a couple of days before I started reading the book. And I feel like it kind of like meshed together a little bit in my brain, but also I kind of loved that. Like I just had the atmosphere like so close by from watching the TV show. It was like perfect vibes. The book within a book was one of my favorite parts. I felt like it was so good for the pacing. Like whenever you'd get sick of one perspective, it would flip to another one. Honestly, I didn't really have that problem though because I loved both perspectives equally. I thought they were both great and I was just so excited to hear each part. Um, I love books with an epistolary format though. Um, I just love a book within a book or like hearing someone's direct thoughts like written to you. And I also am just so obsessed with the main twist. So good. I was getting chills. Oh, I loved it. I still consider it one of my favorites, despite the glaring plot hole that I will never shut up about. Wait. This is the only reason. I'll tell you, I, just, say, I can't I, say it on the air. Yeah. I loved the writing. I loved the vibes. I like that the house itself became a character like the apartment did in Lock Every Door. I enjoyed the alternating chapters of Ewan's book and Maggie's time in the house. Um, something else I picked up on was the clever repetition of certain events that started slowly feeding into the idea of unease. And although I thought the ending ended abruptly, it was still classic Sager, which I appreciated so much. Mm -hmm. I totally so. agree with you on like um, events from her dad's book repeating and starting to happen to her. And it totally just creeps you out. Like the record player? Absolutely not. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> I like thrillers and horrors. And this book was kind of getting to me a little bit. Like it's just the eeriness of the story and like, is the house haunted? Is it not? Like it, it kind of gets to you a little bit. I just told Summer what I meant. So what did you, what do you think after I told you why I took a star off? I mean, <laughs> what do you think about that? I can see, I can see where you're, what you're saying. I can see it, uh, but you're wrong. So there you go. No, I'm just <laughs> that's what, that's my line. I know. You're about to say that to me for I, the next book we're going to talk about, but no, I totally, I, I can see where you're coming from. I agree with you. Yeah. I was telling Gwen, though, I think that I'm okay to suspend disbelief for it because I loved the rest of the book. I kind of didn't even really think about that, honestly, 
yeah. during the book until you kind of brought it mm-hmm. up. So Okay, so next up we have Survive the Night. It's November 1991. George H.W. Bush is in the White House, Nirvana's in the tape deck, and movie-obsessed college student Charlie Jordan is in the car with a man who might be a serial killer. Josh Baxter, the man behind the wheel, is a virtual stranger to Charlie. They met at a campus ride board, each looking to share a long drive home to Ohio. Both have good reasons for wanting to get away. For Charlie, it's guilt and grief over the murder of her best friend, who became the third victim of the man known as the campus killer. For Josh, it's to help care for his sick father. Or so he says. Like the Hitchcock heroine she's named after, Charlie has her doubts. There's something suspicious about Josh, from the holes in his story about his father to how he doesn't seem to want Charlie to see inside the car's trunk. What follows is a game of cat and mouse played out on night-shrouded roads in neon-lit parking lots during an age when the only call for help that can be made on a payphone um, and in a place where there's nowhere to run. In order to win, Charlie must do one thing, survive the night unpopular opinion alert i loved this one i binged this the night it was released and i could not be happier it felt like a throwback not only to the 90s but to final girls and the last time i lied one of my biggest worries was that since it was set in the 90s that it would have an overabundance of pop culture references i thought it had the perfect amount enough to set the groundwork and keep reminding me along the way, but I wasn't like slapped in the face with reference after reference. A lot of readers complained about the female protagonist of the story jumping into a car with a stranger. And that is literally so bizarre to me. I'm like, hello, taxis, Ubers, Lyfts. Is this not the same thing? Am I missing something? Anyways, I really enjoyed it. Okay, like, listen, listen. I do think that she was dumb for getting in that car. And, like, I hear you about, like, Ubers and all that kind of stuff. But there's, like, a campus killer. I get what you're saying about it being a stranger. But this is the 90s. And in the 90s, when you were in college, you went to a ride board and got a ride home. See, I didn't even know about that because... I know that's what I'm saying like the people that are complaining about it and it's like no offense to like the younger crowd or anything like that this was set in the 90s and it definitely happened in the 90s like all the time Mm. that is like the least part of the plot that's like the smallest little itty bitty part of the plot I'm like if you can suspend your disbelief over the plot (laughs) hole and hope it's more dark then you're gonna have to just say it's okay that she got in a car with a stranger yeah (laughs) I don't know. I think, like, for this one, I'm not able to suspend disbelief as much because, like, I didn't like other things about it. So I'm like, mm, no. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're wrong. I mean, but yeah. <laughs> I really just love that we have, like, such differing opinions about this one. I think it's so fun to talk about. Um, I gave this one three stars originally, but honestly, I could be tempted to bump it down to a two. It just, like, wasn't my favorite. Um, I honestly was, like, ready to DNF this at 50%, but... Every time I would think about stopping, like something crazy would happen that would make me keep reading. Yeah, Charlie made the worst decisions. Like I've already said, I thought she was kind of dumb. <laughs> um, I also really didn't like how the unreliable narrator aspect of this book was done. I know that you love that aspect of it. And like hearing you talk about it, I can totally see why some people love it. But for some reason, it just like doesn't work for me. The last third of the book did actually save this a little bit for me, though. And I enjoyed the plot twist that happened. Like I said, at the very top of the episode, I love that people get so fired up Uh defending his books and stuff like that. So this is all in fun. Like I honestly like not only with Summer, but I don't care which ones you like 
and which ones you don't. I just want you to read his books, you know? Um, and I just think they're so fun to discuss mm-hmm. and like, oh, you could suspend your disbelief for that, but you couldn't for this. Like, <laughs> you know, I just think it's so fun. Um, but honestly, I was just intrigued from page one. I love the 80s. I love the 90s. I was grounded in the 90s. I could totally see this happening. Like she's trying to get away because of the guilt that she feels. And she's like, okay, this guy's going to Ohio. Let's go. Um, and I do like unreliable narrators. Um, I always think it's an interesting device for authors to use in books. So that's something that I will always enjoy about a book. Even if I don't like the rest of the book, I'll be like, well, at least the unreliable narrator was cool, you know? (laughs) Um, so yeah, it just had like so much going for it. I will say that once like it got to a certain point, I like almost didn't I started not liking it, like when the twist started happening. But then the ending, the ending though, sold me. And I was like, oh my goodness, only Sager could do this. And it's so funny because like I actually picked up on clues that I didn't even know were clues. Like as I was reading it, I was like, oh, wow, I'm such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) That I never like said it, you know. There's so many like red herrings though. Like you think you have it figured out and then you think, oh, I was totally wrong. And then it yes. makes you think the same thing again. Like <laughs> it whips you back and forth all over the place. So I do think like this is a good, like well-written book. It just like wasn't my story. You know what I'm saying? The next one, if you've been around the podcast for a mm-hmm. while, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> okay. So the house across the lake. Casey Fletcher, a recently widowed actress trying to escape a streak of bad press, has retreated to the peace and quiet of her family's lake house in Vermont. Armed with a pair of binoculars and several bottles of bourbon. More than several. Yeah. Okay, y'all. She passes the time watching Tom and Catherine Royce, a glamorous couple living in the house across the lake. They make for good viewing. A tech innovator, Tom is rich, and a former model, Catherine is gorgeous. One day on the lake, Casey saves Catherine from drowning, and the two strike up a budding friendship. But the more they get to know each other and the longer Casey watches, it becomes clear that Catherine and Tom's marriage isn't as perfect and as placid as it appears. When Catherine suddenly vanishes, Casey becomes consumed with finding out what happened to her. In the process, she uncovers eerie, darker truths that turn a tale of voyeurism and suspicion into a story of guilt, obsession, and how looks can be very deceiving. I love this book so much. It's my second favorite Sager book. I'm obsessed. I just love everything about it. Also, I have to say the dedication or like the forward for this book is a Taylor Swift quote from her song, No Body, No Crime. And I love that. I love that Riley Sager is a Swifty. That's always going to get bonus points for me. (laughs) There were specific things that happened in this one that are just things that I love in books. I know that's kind of cryptic, but I don't want to spoil anything. But like specific things in the story and with the plot twists are just things that I love in books. Um, But I do think that those things are very polarizing. I also loved the twists. They, like my jaw was on the floor for several of them. And just when you think like you have something figured out, it'll flip on you just like in the last book. Like I just feel like he's so good at writing plot twists. The only thing I didn't like about this one was the audiobook because the narrator sounded way too old for the main character. It really took me out of the story to listen to the audiobook. Um, and also I have to say Gwen and Jesse's podcast episode talking about this book is my favorite episode. So you need to go listen to that one if you haven't already. Jesse and I both love Riley Sager. Like he's our favorite. And I was terrified because 
When I read for discussion with people, I don't discuss the book with them until we sit down to record. So I don't know their star rating. I don't know how they thought or felt. Like, I don't know anything. And I was terrified that she was going to love it because I knew I did not. <laughs> you know, I knew I hated it. And and I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to love it. And when we both, when she started talking, because we save our rating until the end. But I'm trying to figure it out the whole time. I'm like, okay, she's just sit talking about the characters. And yeah, that's pretty much how I felt. Okay, plot. Okay, what did you think? <laughs> and then we both said two stars. I was like, oh, thank baby Jesus. Like, <laughs> it's like I was so worried. Um, so oh, I just, every time someone says the house across the lake, I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go again. <laughs> Can I just defer to that discussion with Jesse that I did last summer? Um, this book had me, okay, so I actually read this a little bit later because I was doing it for discussion with Jesse and a lot of my friends had already read it and they were, you know, like some people were loving it, like five stars and some people were like, this is trash, I hate it. So I was like, what? Because usually it's a general consensus. Usually people like, pretty much love it. And then there's like a few, but I mean, this was like, people were either loving it or hating it. I was like, oh, what is going on? So when I sat down, I was very nervous to read it. And for 60, almost 70% of the book, this book had me. I was like, this is a five star. I'm loving this. I love the lake. I love the house across the lake. I love the spying on the neighbors bit. All of this, I had so many theories, which I normally don't like to do, but for my podcast episodes, I will. But, um, but then it just all fell apart and I just could not get on board with what was going on. If you know me and you know my reading taste and you've read this book, you know that I was not going to like it. <laughs> um, I highly recommend listening to the episode because Jesse and I went hard for that discussion. <laughs> um, it has all the spoilers. We talk about everything. I'll have it linked in the show notes today, just in case you haven't listened to it yet. But there was one little like plot twist that I liked. I was like, ooh, I like where this is going. But it was just at that like 180 thing that like didn't work for me. And I was like, mm, no, 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 no. So for like 70% of the book, I was on board. And then it lost me with that twist. I was like, mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, it's like a twist that you don't really see. Like you couldn't ever really see it coming. But like when it happens, that's the determining factor of if you're going to love the book or hate it, I think. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, just like we said about the lock every door, I feel like the twists matter in his books. Yes. Like some thrillers I can kind of read and be like, oh, this is kind of what I'm feel feeling midway. And that's probably what my star rating is going to be. With his, I feel like you need to wait until you finish it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know. <laughs> I totally agree. I also really agree with you about um, the setting of like the lake and like the houses and stuff. I feel like I could so vividly see the whole entire setting and it was just like immaculate. Like the vibes were vibing. I was obsessed. So now we're on to the last book, his most recent one, and it's the only one left. At 17, Lenora Hope hung her sister with a rope, stabbed her father with a knife, took her mother's happy life. Now reduced to a schoolyard chant, the Hope family murders shocked the Maine coast one bloody night in 1929. While most people assume 17-year-old Lenora was responsible, the police were never able to prove it. Other than her denial after the killings, she has never spoken publicly about that night, nor has she set foot outside Hope's End, the cliffside mansion where the massacre occurred. It's now 1983 and home health aide Kit McDear 
arrives at a decaying hope's end to care for Lenora after her previous nurse fled in the middle of the night. In her 70s and confined to a wheelchair, Lenora was rendered mute by a series of strokes and can only communicate with Kit by tapping out sentences on an old typewriter. One night, Lenora uses it to make a tantalizing offer. I want to tell you everything. As Kit helps Lenora write about the events leading to the Hope family massacre, it becomes clear there's more to the tale than people know. But when new details about her predecessor's departure come to light, Kit starts to suspect Lenora might not be telling the complete truth, and that the seemingly harmless woman in her care could be far more dangerous than she first thought. Riley Sager's my favorite thriller author, like I said, so of course this was my most anticipated book of the year, which means yes, I've read it and I loved it. The gothic vibes in the seaside manor and the only one left were perfect. If you like your books twisty, then buckle up because Sager definitely <laughs> packed a roller coaster of twists into this book. Um, I will say, so me and Summer, along with my other besties, got together and we all started reading this together on some live reading sprints. And after the sprints were over, we were kind of theorizing together, which is something that I do not like to do specifically with my favorite authors. And I don't normally do it with thrillers because I feel like if I figure out a twist, I don't end up liking it mm -hmm. as much. Yeah. And literally one of our friends said this twist. Yeah, well, she what guessed are the twists? it. Yeah. I'm glad it was super twisty. Mm -hmm. So there was like more to it. But literally when she said that and and that it was revealed that that was like one of the things, I was so disappointed. Oh, no. Uh -huh. I was like, this is why I don't like to know the twist. <laughs> like, I don't like to theorize uh -huh. and stuff. I'm not a theorizer. Um. Yeah, so that that did take away from it a little bit for me. Um, but yeah, I still loved the book. I thought it was classic. I loved the characters. I loved the house. I loved the like crumbling into the sea oh like vibes going yes. on. I loved how there were just like, I don't know, there were so many like parts to the story, you know? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it was so good. Like when I'm reading a book by myself, I like to theorize just for myself, but I'm finding that whenever I start talking with friends about stuff for thrillers, people guess stuff. Because when Jesse and I read uh, You Shouldn't Have Come Here, she totally guessed the twist. And then I was like, oh, well, this ending kind of sucks now because I like saw it coming a little bit. Yes. And then when Lena suggested those things... I was like, oh my gosh. So were they in your head when you were reading a little bit? Like a tiny bit, but I honestly tried to like forget about it so that I could just like be a little bit unbiased yeah. or like not be expecting things. So yeah, I think I'm going to be more careful about theorizing in the future. But like you said, I love that this book was so twisty that it's like, even if you guess one of them, there's probably going to be like two or three other ones that you don't. So that's what's nice about this one. Um, I really, really liked this one. I think I'm giving this one like a four four stars. Um, even now I'm kind of like unsure about my rating. I feel like a four feels right though. Like I feel like looking back the pacing didn't feel as like consistent. Like it felt, um, or I guess maybe it felt too consistent. Like it felt like it was all just kind of like one note for most of the book. And then all of a sudden at the end, all the stuff started happening. That's true. Yeah. That did happen. But mm -hmm. also I was enjoying the whole entire like first middle part of the book. You know, I think that's 
very uh like standard practice for gothic is like it okay. gothic thrillers gothic mysteries gothic horror they're a little bit slower paced a little bit more like not a lot of action mm-hmm. is going on it's more just like eerie vibes yeah and that's when i think it really like fit because i usually don't like gothic mysteries horror i usually don't like those things but how he kept it like slow and kind of like all the fun gothicy like the atmosphere and stuff like that uh-huh. and then boom at the end he had the thriller stuff i was like oh this is my jam i love that so i loved it see i'm yeah. kind of newer to like gothic stuff but i yeah. feel like i am enjoying it so maybe i'll be able to like go into other books just like having that going Mm -hmm. in you know I think that'll be good but so yeah it's like even though it was slower paced I'm like oh it was slower paced but also I had a fun time reading even though it was slower paced Mm -hmm. so it's like I don't know I feel like I'm just gonna stick with the four though because overall I did really enjoy this one I loved how twisty it was um I like I think you have to follow the characters very closely in this to know what's happening like I'm a person that has a hard time remembering who characters are, what their names are. I feel like if you are the same as me, you need to keep like a character list for this book. Otherwise, some of the twists won't really like hit as hard. And I also, like you, loved the atmosphere. Like the fact that it's literally like falling into the ocean and like leaning, that is the most iconic like gothic house description ever. I was obsessed. Um, Also, just like all the old timey things, like the fact that Lenora is in this like really old like wicker wood wheelchair and there's a typewriter, like it just fit the vibes so well. Now that we've gone over all the books, you should be able to tell from how we (laughs) talked about the books, but which one is your number one favorite Riley Sager book? My number one is Home Before Dark. It's like, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think it would take a lot for another book of his to top that for me. Like I really loved it. Okay, so mine is The Last Time I Lied. Mm -hmm. I think it just goes back to that reading experience of like feeling like I was in the book. I felt like I was at the summer camp. So and then reading with my dad kind of too. So I just don't think you can top the reading experience on that one. Um, which one is your least favorite? My least favorite is Survive the Night or Final Girls. Because, like, listen, I didn't like Survive the Night, but honestly, like, at least it had some stuff going on, you know? Like, at least there was all this crazy stuff happening and, like, plot twists. Final Girls was just kind of, like, meh. It was just kind of, like, one note the entire time is what I felt like. Um, So it's between those two. But even saying that, I didn't hate either of those books, though. Like, they're not, like, least favorite books ever or anything for me. They're just, like, if I had to rank them, they're, like, not my faves, you know? Yeah. Mine is obviously The House Across the Lake. Um, It's the only one. I rated it two stars. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, that it got that low of a rating from me just because of the twist and, like, where it went, like, after the twist was revealed. Like, in my reading vlog that I did for my patrons, I was like, what is everybody talking about? This book is awesome. And then I got to that part and I was like, no, no, no don't do it and yeah so it just kind of went downhill from there uh but yeah it was just it's something that I really don't like in books so like obviously Mm -hmm. um so do you recommend reading them in publication order or is there a specific one you'd say readers should start with um I would say to start with either lock every door or home before dark I think they're kind of his most like broadly liked books by most people Um, So I think they're just like the easiest ones to jump into. 
Um, I also feel like they're good for thriller beginners and also like seasoned thriller readers. I think that there's like something in them for everybody. They're easy to digest, but they're also still fun if you read a lot of thrillers. Um, but yeah, I would say those two yeah. are the best ones to start with. I mean, you can definitely read his books in any order you want. They're not connected, but you may see little like Easter eggs throughout but they're not really like connected, super connected in any way. Um, I would suggest just picking up the book that sounds the most interesting to you. Because as you heard, Summer and I have very different opinions on like which ones are our favorites. And, um, you know, I could see her point. She's that type of reader. She likes these things. I don't, you know, I like certain things. So it just really depends which one sounds the best to you. I can't universally say this is the book to start with because it's truly going to be different for every reader. If you love horror movies and books focused on getting to know the characters, I would suggest The Last Time I Lied or Final Girls. If you enjoy haunted house stories, gothic tales, books focused on like a setting or location, I would go with Home Before Dark lock every door, maybe even the last one left. If unreliable narrators are your jam, go with Survive the Night or The House Across the Lake. If you could only recommend one book of his, which one would you recommend? Uh, I'm just going to go with my favorite, <laughs> um, Home Before Dark, <laughs> because I'm biased. <laughs> um, I think it's just easy to follow. It has an interesting setting, and it moves fast enough to keep you interested. Um, I also just think it shows off his writing style really well and enough to let you see if you would like to read more from him. I want to say read my favorite, but honestly, pick which one sounds the most interesting. Um, or I think just pick up his newest book, The Only One Left, because a lot of other readers are going to be reading it this year and you'll have people to chat with. Like after you've read it, I don't suggest theorizing while you're reading it, <laughs> but afterwards it would be super fun to see what you were thinking and what they were thinking and like kind of compare ratings and thoughts and stuff like that. So maybe go with his newest and then just go ahead and go to his backlist and kind of start with whatever sounds interesting. Um, I thought this was a fun question. Which one do you think has the best cover? Because if you don't know, Summer's a graphic illustrator. She does all kind of artsy things he's very crafty i love home before dark because the cover glows in the dark and i just think that is yeah it's the most brilliant cover design thing i could ever think of also i just think like the cover itself is very interesting and very bold like i love that he uses such bright covers i feel like each of his covers is so distinct for the book like you can just by looking at it you're like oh that survived the night or like whatever you know um I also really love The Only One Left, though, because, like, the creepy house right on the edge of a cliff is so ominous, and I love the colors that he used. Like, they're very bold, and also I love the 80s kind of font because it's, like, set in the 80s. I feel like it fits the vibe of the book really well. So, based on the hardcover U.S. editions, I also vote for Home Before Dark. Um, I'll make sure to post a link in the show notes so that you can see the video of the glowing cover if you haven't seen it. I actually got my book from Book of the Month, but I did go out and purchase the hardcover because I was like, I need the glowing cover. Mm -hmm. I need the glowing cover. Um, so, yeah, that concludes the author spotlight of Riley Sager. Make sure you head over to Instagram and let me know which novel is your favorite. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today, Summer. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I was so excited when you asked me to like do a podcast and you're like, okay, here's the options. I was like, we have to do the Riley Sager episode. 
So I'm so excited yes. that this kind of made me like read his backlist. I'm so glad I got to talk with you about them. So yeah, thank you for having me. Talk Bookish to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tag Talk Bookish Podcast in your listening selfies and stories on Instagram. The link for Patreon is in the show notes along with Summer's social media. Until next time, happy reading. Bye.